the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down, eating your soul. I know a place where mercy flows. Take the stains, make it whiter than snow. Like a tide, it is rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes you come alive. Living water that brings the dead to life. This is Crosswalk. With Gino Geraci. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. We've been talking about a lot of different things and love, love, love talking with you about all these different things. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Wendy, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Long time no talk. <laughs> I know. It feels like a very long time. Yeah, I had some health issues, so uh, I was out of commission for a little while. But um, I have a, it's kind of a two-part question, but it's also the same question. Um when when God um, created everything, you know, lions and tigers and bears all ate vegetation along with people. And then after the um, flood, God gave uh, permission for eating of, of meat. And, um, and also when man was first created, he was made to live forever without disease or or sickness or injury and yet our bodies seem capable now of healing even though we shouldn't have been designed for that did god make a change in the structure i mean you you don't need fangs if you eat grass but you need fangs if you're going to eat another lion I think I think part of the way that I would answer your question is I would say it would appear that God created the universe good, that sin marred the universe, and by the universe I mean all created things and beings. And then the way that I think I would answer the question is even though sin has marred the creation, does the creation retain some of its beauty, majesty, and dignity? And I think that the answer is yes. And then I would say, well, then again, how do we explain the presence or the absence of fangs? And what I would say is I think God created in the genetic code of, of living beings, whatever they happen to be, um, a mechanism of adaptation that was going to be present both 
in a sinless world and a sinful world. And so to your point, did human beings, were they created good? Yes. Were they created to live forever? I think that the answer is yes. Did sin mar that? Yes. Did it destroy it? No. So are there things present that retain the beauty, dignity, and majesty of the creation, even in the human being? Yes. But so is death a part of the judgment? Yes, it's appointed once for a person to die, and then the judgment. The Old Testament says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. And so... um, and so Paul argues, so death came by Adam, and then, um, and then sin came to the whole world. So um, how bad is it? Well, it's bad, but Jesus is going to function in this world as, as a person. He comes into the world, he lives, he dies, and he comes back to life. And then he's going to return to this world and but it's going to continue to erode degrade and it's going to continue i'm going to use the term um in an entropic way it's in other words it's going to continue to devolve it's going to continue to um erode and then third, third law of thermodynamics right so it's going to eventually be necessary for there to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein the Bible says dwells righteousness. So I think to your point, um, is the whole universe itself marred? Yes. Are human beings marred? Yes. Um, Do we retain beauty, dignity, and majesty in all of those areas? Yes. Um, Has that been severely damaged in some people more than others? <laughs> well, you're laughing because you understand where I'm going with it. Yeah. And, and I think that the answer is yes, because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So imagine a person eats right, exercises, and does everything right. They don't smoke. They don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't chew. They don't go with those that do. <laughs> they, they live that sort of perfect life, right? Yeah. And they still die. I, I was... Having lunch today with a friend who uh, is 86 years old, and he was born on a farm, and he was raised on a farm here locally, and um, there was another person who came up to us who was about 81. We were at a restaurant, and I could see how my friend is so much more alive, robust, clear-headed, strong, articulate, and this other guy was very, very weak and very, very, um, in, in other words, you could see that age was starting to take its toll. So yeah. that, e- so that Wendy, even people age differently. I think we, we, each one of us, you know, some of us do better than others in, in obeying the Lord and, and, you know. So in, in God leaving the beauty and the good and the to majesty. remind us of the perfect that he once gave us. Um, in that, he also gave us the ability to heal. And um, right, you know, and like, I, like I almost died from the pneumonia, but um, for some reason, he wants me around. And, well, and, um, and again, to, and, to but your... my body's been able to heal from that. 
yet in the very beginning, there were no diseases. Was there a different mechanism put into us after the fall? No, no. I think that what happened is human beings are hardwired. We were hardwired with the ability to heal. But what I would, the way I would put it is that that hardwiring has been damaged. So, so the way that I would say, so if you were to ask me, well, do I think that, that human beings are hardwired to heal so that they should theoretically live forever? And I think that the answer is no. Human beings will not theoretically live forever because even in the hardwiring of being healed, that healing has been damaged so that it doesn't function perfectly and forever. Who would it, want to live forever being able to get sick and hurt? Well, Even if you did heal. <laughs> right. And, and so Paul talks about that. He says that the outward person is perishing, but the inward person is being renewed day by day. And so is it possible um, that through science or technology, we could support the self-healing um mechanism that exists yes um to perfection i think the answer is no Hmm. yeah i agree with that okay well thank you um (laughs) and i i imagine part of it or a great deal of it has to do with the fact that god sees knows everything and he knew we'd fall and he knew we'd need to be able to heal, and he knew that lions and tigers and bears would need fangs. Well, see, and I would point out that I think human beings from the beginning had flesh and blood and organs and um, an atmosphere. But again, we're hardwired in such a way for profound adaptability. Yeah. The whole, the whole creation has. Right. Interesting. Thank you for your call. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. The number is 303-873-1935. And, you know, uh, like so many callers, and thank you for calling, Um, your questions prompt other kinds of questions that I think about and uh, hope are fun to think about and consider. And that is, you know, again, the presence of sin, the problem of the consequences of sin, and again, the adaptation that takes place in a fallen world. How do we think about that? What was the world like before sin entered into it? What is the world like now that it's here? And can we imagine a world free from sin and pain and death? Now, obviously, it begs yet another question. And that is, if Jesus paid the price for our sin, why do we still suffer the consequences of our sin? So if sin has come into the world and Jesus is the satisfying solution to the problem of sin in the world, 
we could ask it, the question even a little bit differently. Well, why, why is that? Why is it here? Why is it still consequential? And so we rejoice that the Bible gives us the good news that Jesus paid the price for our sin in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Yet in many ways, we still suffer the consequences of our sins. For example, a drug dealer may become a Christian in prison, but that doesn't mean he's going to be released from prison the next day. He still suffers the experience and the consequences of his past. So a person who has a right relationship with God in Christ, a born-again Christian, a person who literally experiences new life, new love, new hope, Let's say that that Christian falls into a sin, whether it's drugs or alcohol or adultery. Is that possible? I think it is. Could they lose their family, their career? Could their wife leave them and their children not talk to them? even if they confess what that what they did was wrong, and even if they forsake their sin, the consequence still remain. So coming to Christ doesn't erase the temporal effects of sin, but our salvation guarantees that we will not face the eternal consequences of sin. In other words, the Bible says the soul that sins it shall surely die. Will human beings physically die? Yes. Need they spiritually die? The answer is no. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. So the consequence of sin is death. Romans 6, you know the passage in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free, free, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So as sinners, we deserve to be eternally separated from God and his holiness. But on the cross of Calvary, Jesus pays the penalties for our sin by his own blood, it says in the book of Colossians and elsewhere. He who knew no sin becomes is made to be sin on our behalf. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty one, where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on the basis of Christ's perfect sacrifice, those who believe are no longer under God's condemnation. And so that's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. And that word condemnation means the judicial pronouncement of guilt for crimes committed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's important to understand that when the believer in Christ experiences the consequences for sin, it's not because he's under God's condemnation. 
or even God's wrath, or even God's retribution, because believers are under God's grace. Romans 6.15, what then, Paul writes, are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? He says, heaven forbid, or by no means. So Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. In Isaiah 53.10, the writer, the prophet says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So sin's consequences still experienced by believers could be classified in one of several ways. There's there's a way of thinking about it in terms of the universal consequences. There's a way of thinking about it in terms of the instructional consequences. There's a way of thinking about it in terms of the disciplinary consequences. And so when we think about universal, natural, instructional, some of sin's consequences are experienced perpetually by every human being on the earth because we're all children of Adam. Everyone has weeds growing in their garden. Everyone faces flood, fire, earthquake. We all get sick. We all grow old. We all eventually die physically. Like we were alluding to earlier in Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. So as sinners living in a sinful world, there's no way to avoid the consequences of original sin. So there's universal consequences and there's natural consequences. We live in a world of cause and effect where the law of sowing, reaping, full effect. You'll remember the Bible says God isn't mocked. What a person sows, they will reap. So some of sin's consequences are built in and practically guaranteed no matter if the sinner is saved or unsaved. We live in a world where you can't plant seed and then pray that God will kill the crop. Is it possible that people could plant seed and the crop in fact dies? I think that that is true, but it's not normally true. When you plant seed, it will, under normal circumstances, grow. The Bible warns that sexual immorality is a sin committed against one's own body. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned, it says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. If you steal something, you should expect to get caught and face the consequences that follow the sin of theft. 
But perhaps you grew up in a world where you stole a lot of things. You rarely got caught. So the way that you suffered the consequences changed. But the truth is, if you resist arrest when you get caught, you pile up more consequences. That's sowing. That's reaping. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. I'll be right back. 94.7 Now, back to Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. I've been talking a little bit about, well, consequences and of sin. You know, the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. There are universal consequences and natural consequences and instructional consequences. And by that, I mean what my coach used to tell me in football. He would call the other players and he would say, men, I want to bring to your attention Jeracy. As an example of what not to do, of how not to perform. So is it possible that everybody's an example, sometimes a good example, sometimes a bad example, and you serve as an instructional example? Very likely God allows some of sin's consequences to remain in our lives to teach us the heinous nature of sin, to remind us to depend upon God's grace. Sin is a serious enough problem that God will send Jesus into the world to die. And so for the person who says it's no big deal, I remember seeing a... uh, a t-shirt and it was a t-shirt of a crucified man and it was pretty graphic and on the t-shirt it said if i'm okay and you're okay how do you explain this the t-shirt's point was very well made in other words sin is a serious enough problem that God will send his son to die, but not just any kind of a death, but a horrific death. So for the person who plays the game and thinks that sin is no big deal, in the face of sin's consequences, we humble ourselves and we seek God's kingdom and righteousness all the more. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Remember, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a story in the book of Acts um, that's really instructive about Ananias and Sapphira. They were disciplined for their sin. It was instructive for the church. 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 11, after they went through this horrific situation of lying to the Holy Spirit, pretending to be somebody that they weren't, and doing stuff um, and giving when they were in fact were, were stingy, they died. And the Bible says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, it says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul reminds Timothy, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, it was Paul's idiomatic way of saying, God is going to allow Satan to do what's necessary to bring them to a place of submission and cooperation, if you will which reminds me of the disciplinary consequences. Some of sin's consequences are the result of God's treating us as a father should should his children. There's a difference between a penalty for sin and discipline for sin. As God's children, we experience discipline that's designed to guide us and bring us back to the right path. So pause and think about that for just a moment. What is the difference between punishment and discipline? Punishment is something that happens as a consequence in part for sin. Discipline is a corrective agent in order for you to go into a different direction. So, As God's children, we experience discipline that's designed to guide us and to bring us back on the right path. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about, in verse 5, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter, if you will. And so the way that I would think about this is you don't get to discipline other people's children. I get to discipline my children. God reserves the right to discipline his own children. So how many of God's children undergo discipline? Well, actually, that's not exactly true. Here's how I would say it. Everyone, all of God's children undergo discipline, if I understand Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8 correctly. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So who participates in the discipline of God? 
all of God's children. Who doesn't discipline participate in the discipline of God? Those who are not God's children. So I want you just to think about that for a minute. Because if you're getting away with it, well, maybe you're not getting away with it at all. In many ways, we all experience times of rebellion, times of disobedience, times of wandering away. And God's purpose in allowing us to experience disciplinary consequences of sin. Just remind us that God is true to his nature. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, speaking of our earthly parents, as it seemed best to them, but he he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. I remember having a friend who was yelling and screaming at his mom. And I stood there horrified, even terrified, wondering how he was allowed to live. Because if I had talked to my mother that way, you can rest assured that there would be consequences. They would come quickly and they would come dramatically. You know, it's a sad thing in my life as I've grown older that sometimes the very first time a person ever experiences the consequences for rebellion and disobedience is when the police officer arrests them. They are stunned, terrified that they're actually going to have to face the consequences of doing something wrong. The church at Corinth provides an example of Christians facing the disciplinary consequences of their sin and partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. The Bible says they brought God's displeasure. So God will sometimes allow us to experience the temporal consequences of sin. Why? To show his care his concern, his love, his ownership. This is Gino Geraci. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. I was talking to uh, producer Blake, and we were talking about vivid dreams and and dreams. I, I dreamt I had a vivid dream last night that I was still... With the FBI, and I was working on a project in Europe with uh, some of my friends from the Bureau. And it seems so real to me because of there's a, a thing that's a skiff where you go into when you're isolating information and, and it's top secret and and you can't share this information. So you're, you're doing data collection or data analysis or 
or you're, you're, you're doing strategies of how to deal with a particular issue or a particular subject. And we talked about lucid dreaming and, um, and lucid dreaming. Well, we didn't talk a great deal about it, but um, lucid dreaming is the idea that you're aware that you're dreaming and that in that dream, you're, you're, you're profoundly aware that this is a dream and then you begin to take control of the dream and you function in the dream, not in the sense of a, um, of, of just literally participating in the dream, but you begin to direct the dream. So a lucid dream is a dream in which the sleeper is aware that he or she is dreaming. And when the dreamer is lucid, that means that they can actively participate and then manipulate the imaginary experiences in the dream environment. Now, some people might take umbrage with the terminology, the imaginary experiences. I'm using the word imaginary in the sense of whatever this is, whatever's happening in your brain when you're dreaming, however um, it's generating uh, this story, it's participants and how they interact with one another. So, um, that's what I mean. So the term lucid dreaming was coined by a Dutch psychiatrist at the, uh, at, at, like he lived um, at the turn of the century of the, of the, of the 19th century. And so that means like from 1880 to d- during the time of the depression in the 1930s. And so this Dutch psychiatrist um, coined the term lucid dream- dreaming. And since that time, books, articles have been written on the subject and research and analysis of the causes of lucid dreaming is ongoing and, and then sometimes strays into the areas of what researchers and people have called parapsychology. Now, I was first introduced to parapsychology, if you will, as a junior high schooler. In the seventh grade, I read a book called The Seven Lives of Bridie Murphy that deal with the subject of reincarnation. I read books on the occult by Colin Wilson. And then I read scientific books that were being introduced into the area of parapsychology, remote viewing, consciousness. Um, there was a book called uh, Psycho-Cybernetics and, and stuff like that of how you manipulate things mentally. And some researchers have identified a similarity between lucid dreaming, near-death experiences, transcendental meditation, out-of-body experiences, consciousness investigations, and other kinds of occult and New Age practices. Now, there are certain things that I've repeatedly said in the earlier broadcast that God forbids. In other words, God forbids trying to access secret information through altered states of consciousness, drugs, um, contacting the dead and all of that stuff. So does lucid dreaming or dreaming in general, 
fall into that category. Well, again, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27, it says, a man or a woman who's a medium or a necromancer. Remember, a necromancer is a person who calls up the dead. A medium is a person who conducts interviews, if you will, with spirit beings shall surely be put to death. A man or a woman who's a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Now think about how severe that punishment is. Why would God not just suggest but command such a severe punishment because apparently trafficking in supernatural beings in order to access information on a higher plane is dangerous. Now, you can imagine for the person who does it, they would say the prohibition by the Bible is because they don't want competition. The way that I would put it is the prohibition against the competition is because the source of that information is hellish, designed to deceive with the purpose of hurting you either temporarily or permanently. That's why in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 10, it says, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. These are people who would participate in child sacrifice. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now, remember, I've repeatedly said abomination is a word that's used in the Hebrew language to describe the greatest level of revulsion that you could possibly communicate in the language. So there's nothing wrong with dreaming. Everyone dreams at one time or another. Some people remember their dreams. Some remember in details. Some remember nothing. Causing them to conclude that they didn't dream at all. Which according to research seems highly unlikely. So again, we don't know everything about dreams or why they exist or what function they serve in the brain. But apparently they serve some sort of very legitimate function. And so, by the way, dreams are mentioned frequently in the Bible. And God can and has used dreams to speak to people. Now, lucid dreaming as such, doesn't seem to be addressed in the Bible. Although I would suggest that there is a certain sense in certain dreams that are related, like with Joseph, that he seems to be very, very aware that God is involved in the dream. And Daniel is another example. So lucid dreaming simply means to be able to take control of your dreams. 
Is there something wrong with that? I don't think so. But if lucid dreaming becomes too much of a focus or an obsession, I would say beware. And by the way, if you're looking for information in your dream, my advice would be go to a source of tried and true information. Namely, find a Bible, open it, start reading. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.